Where's my face? Don't kill me! Your turn, Doctor. Tell me. What do you see? This is In The Cut, and hello, I'm Jesse. I'm here with Aaron to talk about the 2009 film Watchmen. Again, and as I've said every time, the format here means we look at the whole movie. So necessarily there's spoilers for the movie, spoilers for the comic, of course, too. And so you will enjoy our conversation. Well, no one really will enjoy our conversation. But but we watched the movie, so you have to also. <laughs> You can come along with the conversation, follow a lot better if you've recently watched or rewatched the movie. So for that reason, I try to make links available at www.inthecut.org for all the ways that you can watch the movie and join us to get under the hood of it a little bit. Hi, Aaron. Hello. Um, I would uh, I have a few corrections uh, from, I believe, last week when we were talking about it. As soon as I got done with the thing, I was immediately corrected about Zack Snyder did not direct... Uh, uh, Sin City, of course. That right. Richard Rodriguez. Right. And, um... Did you say Richard Rodriguez? Because I think it's Robert Rodriguez. It is Robert Rodriguez. I'll just head that correction off right at the pass. And also, I said it wasn't such a bad movie, and I was also wrong on that front. <laughs> <laughs> Not, uh, Sin City, but, uh, this fine movie, Watchmen. Yeah, I think my memory of it was pretty vague, too, for, for sure. Yeah. Um, but it, it was... I, I remembered it being unoffensive, and it, it wasn't. Huh. It wasn't, I was, I don't know, I might also just be extra super cranky today. Yeah, I, I think that the movie has a lot of problems uh, thematically. I, I think that the thematically it's so out of sync with what the director is trying to do with it that it, it ends up just completely not, it doesn't connect at all, I don't think. Right, it's also just really super boring and badly made. <laughs> <laughs> and slow motion isn't always exciting <laughs> not always i don't think there was one fast motion punch in the film <laughs> right and there was no shortage of punches for sure <laughs> no. i mean there probably was very few punches but they lasted so long they were so slow that was the joke they made about 300 also, which that is the one that Zack Snyder directed that I, that, that mm -hmm. part of the reason why we would think that he would have directed Sin City is just because it's so stylistically similar and habits that kind of similar space. But that was one of the jokes about 300 is that you just play the movie in normal speed and it's just a five minute movie. Yeah. This movie is still like eight hours. Yeah, this movie is still like 25 hours. <laughs> the action and just have a guy... With dramatic music talking in a weird fake accent. The, um, th this is the movie, the version of the movie we watched, I should also clarify, is just the theatrical cut. There's also <laughs> a director's cut, which is longer, and then the, I, I think it's called the ultimate cut, which is the longest of all. <laughs> <laughs> that has the pirate cartoon. It has the pirate cartoon inter interwoven as the comic did, have the, the pirate comic in, inside of it. It wasn't interwoven in the comic. It was just one of the books was a pirate comic. Are you sure? Pretty sure. I, I think it was interwoven. I, 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 in preparation for this, I, I watched all of the motion comics. Okay. 
You, you could be right. And I also read, re, went over some of the, I mean, I have the comic now too, and, and I went over some of the sequences in that. You could, you could be totally right. Um, yeah, the, the pirate story, it, re, it keeps reinforcing the themes of the main story in, in different sections. Okay, yeah, it's been a, been a long time since I've read the comic. I, rec- I kind of, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I kind of recommend the motion comic. It's a weird kind of storytelling where it's just taking panels from the comic and just subtly animating them. Yeah, I actually watched the first episode. I really didn't like, I mean, the narrator was fine, but I really didn't like it when he did the voices. Yeah, you, it's it's just like in an um, audiobook where it really takes you out of the moment, especially, especially when a guy is doing a girl's voice. It's so awful. And particularly in that that particular narrator, right. I feel like. Some narrators can do it, you know. There's there's well done audiobooks where they do kind of do the voices, but mm-hmm. it's just like just don't do a voice, man. <laughs> and the motion comic didn't have Alan Moore's name attached to it either. They similarly to the movie, they give the credit to the illustrator, kind of as Alan Moore wants, I think. Oh yeah, that was totally his. But yeah, I think if you're gonna watch one, I would watch. There's a, a the, one of them called uh, Watchmaker, which is based on the third or fourth book of the comic series which is the story of Dr. Manhattan initially going to Mars and then kind of reliving his past, filling in his backstory. It's all told really like in a really elegantly out of sequence uh, stream of consciousness way that, that they don't really have the time to, to develop in the movie. And it, and it avoids nicely avoids the weaknesses of the medium, which is there's no real heavy action that they have to try and animate. And there's no real female voice because it's all just kind of voiceover <laughs> of uh, Dr. Manhattan. So yeah, I think if you if you want to get a taste of the best part of the motion comic, probably get the Watchmaker episode. I really liked it, and the motion comic altogether obviously has some weaknesses, but still was interesting. Uh, so with that being said, though, I, I don't think it's really that interesting to to just kind of do compare the comic to the movie over and over again. Even though I kind of always want to now that I have some familiarity with both, um, I think nerds have probably done plenty yeah. of that already, and it's just not that interesting to me. And with this project, I really want to take kind of the movies as they are, like as they're released and, and mostly in and of themselves in just that type of context. But at the same time, there's points where the movie fails and the comic is a really useful counterexample of how they handled it differently. So uh, I, I think it's still, it's reference to the comic, I don't think is off the table in my mind. Um, and there's ways in which they both fail, like where the movie was faithful to a failure of the comic, in my opinion. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's one of the big problems with this movie is just how literally faithful it tried to be in a lot of ways. I think it is too, right. Storytelling for a movie just has to be different than storytelling for a comic. You know, there's just, I mean, in terms of how long you have to tell the story is one thing. Uh, and some of it works, I think that the, you know, you know, there's, there's kind of, there's tweaks of this, the superhero motif and, and, and tropes that pr- pretty much automatically translatable. Like when, um, Ozzy made you a pupa Ozzy Mindius. What's his? Osmodeus. What? Osmodeus. Is that how you say it? That's what I'm going to say. Rock me Osmodeus. <laughs> With the, I set the bombs off 35 minutes ago thing. Just oh as yeah, great. that's. That, that's one of the great moments. And there's a lot of touches like that that are just automatically, just intuitively survive just because they're that. But yeah, I might mean, just think just taking pacing cues from a comic book and 
Um, right. It was really slavishly devoted to cutting back and forth between storylines at the exact points it did in the comic and things that just undermined the movie because they were jarring and confusing when it happened on screen. They, he, they refused to compress sequences. Owl and Spectre have three separate go-out-and-beat-people-up little hero sequences, <laughs> which could all have been served by one of those sequences, and they just didn't they didn't want to do that, and they just wanted to squeeze them all in. And so, a, as a result, they, they have to compress the storytelling so aggressively that it's just, it never has any resonance. Look, so there's a scene. There's a scene where Rorschach has to break into the research lab to talk to Doctor Manhattan and Silk Spectre. It's near the beginning, and Doctor Manhattan has like thirty seconds to establish who he is because he hasn't meet, like spoken in the movie <laughs> to this point. He has to show examples of his telekinetic powers, his physical powers with the scale. He has to describe how he sees through time. He has to do a little shared vision thing with Silk Spectre. He has to put the threat of nuclear annihilation on the table. He has to introduce that entire concept into the movie. And he has to foreshadow this like critical event that he can't see past. He has to establish the tenor of his relationship with Silk Spectre. And he has to foreshadow her big reveal with her parentage. And this is something that has to happen in like 30, 45 <laughs> seconds in the movie. And none of it like just clicks at all. I mean, it's... You just can't compress like that. and Or the scene where the the comedian shoots the pregnant Vietnamese woman. <laughs> and he shoots her and then immediately just turns and tells me, Dr. Manhattan how he'd lost his humanity. It's like a complete non sequitur. <laughs> and it's because the, it's like they took every scene. It's like they shot a 10-hour version of everything that happens in the comic. And then they cut everything but the first and last line from each scene. <laughs> I bet that's kind of literally what happened. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen the super ultimate version, but uh, I don't I think mean, maybe that. I think the super did. ultimate version just has things that they couldn't fit in, like um, the old owl is beaten, is killed by a gang who breaks into his house, and some other kind of just side plots that they put back in. Yeah, God, that was. I mean, so much of what was fun about the book was it did have all those side tangents, and when you just compress it down to a core story, it's just kind of. And a little bit nothing. Yeah, although I don't think it's... I think the story is strong. It just has to connect, you know, with the audience. Right. And I don't I don't think it's really doable in a film. I mean, unless it was, you know, a very, very different film. I mean, part of the whole thing is, you know, there was just all this world building and uh, yeah. just taking place, just the whole thing taking place in this really fully realized world. Right. Yeah, in the movie, it's just no one, no thing anyone says or does make sense because there's just, it's a no context. It's like a vacuum of context. And like, this jumped out at me like the sex scene with uh, Manhattan and Spectre where the the hands start multiplying around her and she gets mad. And I'm like, is she mad because he's not supposed to? Do they have an agreement where they're supposed to only have sex with one of them? Or like, what, is this weird? I mean, is she mad about other things? Like, what? I don't get, like, there's no context for anything. And I think they could have just, they could have cheated that and not blown out the length of the movie by just making it take place in, in a more our world. Yeah, I, I really wanted to, you know, not set it in the 80s. I don't feel like that really worked at all. Hmm. I think it could have been much better if, you know, they it was just, they gave it a modern setting. Then they could have made it Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> was still in charge, but with the Alzheimer's. 
<laughs> it would have been great. Um, I, I think that could have worked. I, I and this is after I just said that I'd, I I want to take the movie as presented and not like with a whole bunch of context about how it was made and inside stories like that because it's, I mean it's kind of interesting but it just doesn't really affect my viewing of the movie that much. But that was it was re, it was mostly written to take place in modern times and then was reverted back by Zach by the director. Yeah, and it, I feel like the costume designs were all kind of updated. Oh yeah, nothing about it felt like the 80s. Right, that's like you either have to make it the 80s, you can't just have those couple of newspapers. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, really do the set dressing and, you know, musical choices or whatever. Yeah, I, I felt like, I don't know. Yeah, just just the literalism of everything. Yeah, the, none of the dialogue, none of the technology, just nothing placed it in 1985. They did have old TVs. Right, but the TVs weren't <laughs> 1985 TVs. They were like 1940s TVs. And just because that's like stylistically more like pleasing <laughs> to look at. Yeah, it's the whole thing is in this hyper-real superhero universe, which works so aggressively against the movie, I think. Right. I think Zack Snyder is a really, like competent filmmaker i will disagree <laughs> i think I he's know. extremely competent okay what does he do and well? he's, a, he's like a dream director for he would have been a dream director for sin city not that robert rodriguez didn't do a great job with the material but like for 300 or sin city he's like an ideal choice but weren't those movies kind of just no fun yeah i mean they kind of <laughs> sucked <laughs> right in, a, in, it, it is yeah in in certain ways like they weren't any fun to watch because they were just like a bunch of boring slow punches well it's they're both stories where i mean I'm not gonna... I, I don't think i would say it's all like style and no substance but i would say that it's like the medium is the message kind of mm-hmm. where just the look and feel really is all there is to really say yeah. and he's good at saying that i, I guess he's not good at making action sequences fun to watch whenever he'd start an action sequence and this would just be like okay <laughs> here it goes i mean not like i wasn't like that with a bunch of other sequences but <laughs> mostly the action sequences it's like now there's gonna have these weird crazy extra foley things going on the sound design really bugged me in a ton of places i mean i just rewatched the end 20 minutes ago and i just there's a scene um I'm kind of jumping around, but uh, jumping around's good. There was a, a scene in the you know in the end, and Oz, uh, how do we do, how do we say it? I think you uh, said Amadeus. Uh, uh, Osme- uh, Amadeus. Amadeus and Amadeus's <laughs> secret lair, where there are, where he turns on the TV and he's like, "Yes, TV is all you could say it as an ultimate weapon." <laughs> um, but there's a scene where. It's Nixon talking on all of them, and then that news report ends, and they all synchronizedly, because um, synchronizedly is the word, right? Switch back to the news feed, and it, they do so with a big science fiction technology noise. Oh God, yeah, and it, it's there's it's so over the top. Like every time a any sharp object is on the screen, it does the sharpening Shake. knife sound. Just even if it's like panning past one in the background, it does it. It's... There's the the last shot where the dollop of hamburger juice drips on the guy's shirt. It's just like <laughs> squirt. Way over, just overdone. And and again, I think the the story loses so much from that because the great thing about Watchmen is that it's ostensibly set in the real world. Like this right. is not superheroes that live in superhero land. It's like uh, pissed off. Like the original, uh, what are they called? The Minutemen were just pissed off ex cops 
who were like stealing this mask technique from the co- from the from the criminals that they kept catching and catch kept not being prosecuted because of the masks. And they're just like frustrated, clunky, <laughs> awkward asshole vigilante guys, kind of. Yeah, I love um in the book how. Uh... You know, Night Owl, even when he puts on his costume, he's still just kind of schlubby. Yeah. And in this, he's like, he puts on his costume and I guess he's just got like a super girdle on in there because like (laughs) he just loses all his pudge and all of a sudden he's can do all this cool kung fu. They fucking turned every person into ridiculous (laughs) kung fu masters. It's so... The one guy was so smart that he could do extra kung fu. Yeah. In the in the comic, he's he also sort of he sort of gets to cheat a little bit, like he's somehow he's so fast that he can actually catch a bullet. And mm-hmm. I think that was totally unnecessary. I thought that was a little bit lazy, even in the comic. But yeah, in the movie, they just turn every f- fight is dragged way way out <laughs> into these ridiculous kung fu fight scenes between absolutely everybody. Like when Rorschach is apprehended by the cops, he's doing like spinning sweep kicks and shit. It's so fucking out of character and awful. Just awful. Did you notice how all of the generic thug villains were Asian? No. Like um, the prison was like 75% Asian. (laughs) And like the street gang was like all either Asian or dressed up in. uh, Uh, I think it's just like they just needed a bunch of kung fu guys and they're like right. all right this is a world where all villains are asian right and and this is i think a, a failing that it was in the original story too is that is is that one point of disconnection between this world and the world we live in is that the bad guys are in these like uniformed street gangs like the movie the warriors or something <laughs> where they're all in the same costume and shit it was the and, 80s that's how gangs were <laughs> but they really weren't <laughs> No, they weren't. <laughs> yeah, and I think that making them into these kung fu superheroes and setting it and shooting in this world is why it just has no emotional r- resonance, I think. And the other thing about these fights is that he brings in a lot of just... He, he relishes these these arms splitting apart or the guy being thrown upside down into a dumpster or... The, the the guy's arms being sawn off when he puts his arms through the jail cell. Or or, or I think the best example is... That was, I just want to stop for a minute and say that that... Yeah. <laughs> um, you could have just cut the bars. You had to after you cut the guy's arms off anyway. I don't quite understand the... <laughs> the arm cutting. Yeah. It's, it didn't it didn't work in the comic either. I mean, in the comic, they said, we can't cut the bars because it would take too long. We need him out of the way because we're cutting the lock part of the thing. Mm-hmm. But they don't cut both of his arms <laughs> off. And it's and it's just because Zack Snyder wants to make these, like, really gritty and real, you know, gnarly <laughs> things, right? Or when, when Rorschach kills the guy in the what's a dress shop, although it's not really well established in the movie, uh, when he's telling the story of how he became this character... And he's like hammering him in the head with a butcher's knife over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. In in the comic, and this is I'm I'm totally doing what I said I wouldn't do, which is just comparing absolutely everything to how it happens in the comic. But in the comic, he handcuffs him to a pipe and then lights the building on fire and leaves. So in that way, it's really amplifying the 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 violence in that. But because they're so fucking cowardly. They wrote in the guy confessing to the abduction and the murder and rape, I think, of this little girl mm-hmm. because they were too pussy to leave it ambiguous. And it's so key to that scene 
that it be ambiguous and that that's the decision that Rorschach takes uh, or, or, or the path that he starts on in that moment. It's a, like a hooray for vigilante justice line when he says men get arrested, dogs get put down. I mean, that's a great Rorschach line. Really is. I think that's a good piece of writing, except that it's just so wrong for the theme because he is going down a really dark road of this vigilantism that's going to just control the rest of his life. Uh, and instead, it's just like a yay hero. You know, you have to operate outside the law to really catch these bad guys thing. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, he could have been such a good character. And that was the one I, th- I feel like, I think the only piece of really good casting well the, i mean the comedian also but uh i thought the comedian was really well cast i thought rorschach was really ca- well cast and i thought um uh night owl was well cast although part, a big part of that is just he looked exactly right. just lifted from the page <laughs> um rorschach was the only that actor was the only one that had read the comic mm-hmm. of all the actors and he was just so good <laughs> i mean his when he took the mask off, uh, he was he was really fantastic. Um, he really was, uh, and wish. and it, and the most resonant moment in the whole movie is is him being wrestled to the ground by the cops in the jail and saying, "You don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me." It's so good. It's it's the moment from the movie that I think is just goes above the waterline, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, or or just rises above the rest. You ever watch um, the television show uh, Children's Hospital? No, I know of it. It's it's really fantastic, but uh, Silk Spectre is on that, and she's really, uh, I mean, she's fantastic. She's hilarious. But I c- could not watch her playing super over-the-top drama. Well, she. I mean, having not seen her in anything else, I can pretty much confirm that she sucks at drama. Right. <laughs> If this, if this movie's any indication, maybe it was bad directing or something. I don't want to put everything uh, on her. She didn't get great lines or anything either. That was the stinker of the uh, of the cast. She's really great at parody of Super the Over the Top Drama. <laughs> so after uh, seeing her do that, I'm just assuming that that's what she was doing in this movie also. Yeah. What about uh, Dr. Manhattan? Um, he was I know great. there was some backlash because he didn't have a really booming resonant voice. Although I didn't, that didn't bother me. I thought that he was great for later in the movie, Dr. Manhattan. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read the comic for a while, but I mean, I remember that character being much more dynamic that there really was a, you know, that he started out being very confident and Superman-ish. And, uh, you know, at one point in the movie kind of broke and went off to Mars and then got all introspective and emo and just kind of started him off as that introspective emo character with the sad, sad voice. He's just bummed out from the get-go, yeah. Yeah, that does does kind of pulverize his, like, arc as a character. Yeah, I thought he was good when he was went and pouted on on Mars. (laughs) Yeah, and again, that's the highlight of the motion comic is when they do that because they really get to, to let that sequence breathe because it's having a slow pace to that it's really important to it to filling in more of his relationship with his father and with the watchmaking thing that that keeps playing into the story in various ways how we how we came to fall in love with the older silk specter is a great story and also that the comic and the motion comic i think too they get to keep switching their storytelling style or the conceits Mm -hmm. of the storytelling where a whole issue can be narrated by Rorschach's journal and then the next one can be a voiceover of Dr. Manhattan's kind of stream of consciousness and then the next one can be Rorschach's 
psychologist's journal in jail and stuff, where each each comic really works as its own story told by its own storyteller. But in the movie, it's just more of this kind of arbitrary and sudden gear and tone shifting that's just really jarring. Mm -hmm. Rorschach's journal, October 12th, 1985. Dog carcass in alley this morning. Tire tread on burst stomach. This city's afraid of me. I've seen its true face. The streets are extended gutters, and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over, all the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up around their waists. And all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us. I'll whisper, no. The other, just to jump back to Rorschach for another second, because I think he really is the the best part of the movie. And, and, oh, and absolutely. So David Hayter, you know, wrote the original screenplay for this. He and one other guy collaborated in what, what finally came to the screen. And do you know David Hayter at all? Uh, yeah. You know, he's solid snake, right. so he, which makes <laughs> he him wrote, my uh, personal hero. He wrote the... First couple of X-Men movies, right? He wrote the first one on his own and co-wrote the second one, which were the two best X-Men movies, of course, because the third <laughs> one was fucking dog shit. And and he writes Rorschach kind of like Wolverine. And and I think that the actor who plays Rorschach has that same kind of burden where he's everybody's favorite anti-hero and, and casting him is so important. Casting him well is so important. And they did a good job and they wrote him pretty well. But, you know, it's... Wolverine, I don't think in the X-Men movies ever does anything really bad. I mean, he acts just lazy and selfish half the time and heroic the other half yeah. the time. I mean, I didn't take him as, I mean, I thought he was supposed to be Batman or half of Batman. You know, I really took it as he and Night Owl were as a whole Batman. Yeah, totally. You know, he was that kind of scary part of Batman. Part of, why, part of why Wolverine works as a character in the comics is that he occasionally can be bad, and Rorschach way more so, that he's, he's mm -hmm. he can be act like villainous. And they, when you turn the vigilantism into a really morally pure thing, like they do by making the, the child molester confess, or, you know, when the vigilantism doesn't have a dark side, right. it, it, uh, then it just shits up every other character in the movie. Because it just makes them into pussies who aren't tough enough to be Batman. Yeah, this movie definitely, it did make me think about why, I think I'm just going to finally admit that I don't like Batman. Oh man. Not even like Christopher Nolan Batman, or at least Batman for adults. I don't like, <laughs> huh. I don't know, the uh, vigilante, you know, wankery is just, it's kind of gross. <laughs> I probably still like Adam West. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Rorschach's mask? I like it. I think it's one. It's one of the. It's one of the most immediately memorable character designs in in the whole universe of superheroes. I think I, I really like it. Well, what do you, what do you think about how they did it in the movie? I thought that they they used it. To, I here's something I don't recall real ex explicitly from the from the comic how literally they make it into an actual like deliberate expression of his face and how often it's just meant to be a random pattern of shapes into which you read his expression mm -hmm. but i thought in the movie they danced around it pretty well I, there's definitely moments where he gets mad and you can tell it's obviously turns into kind of a mad looking pattern 
or whatever but um i i liked it I, I, the the slowness with which it moved was nice uh i liked that there was a bit of texture to the material and everything uh what do you think I really i i didn't like how they made it like a literally morphing thing i mean i thought the kind of ambiguity of what it was hmm. you know on a comic book page where it's just different in each frame is like i don't know if that was supposed to indicate that it was literally uh, some sort of magic fabric that had a weird morphe pattern on it for no reason and i just think that's one of those things that does not translate into motion i mean i'd almost rather just having have it change every time there was a cut huh i hadn't thought of that because yeah i mean I, I just really i mean i don't know in the motion comic they animate it the same way they do in the movie <laughs> but in the comic it's different because it's you can't you can't show literal motion in the comic so yeah it's just kind of different every time and and that's probably another thing where you know Alan Moore, of course, just says like there's there's that so many aspects to this that can't be translated into a film, so it's pretty much unfilmable, and which is why he refuses to see these movie adaptations of his work or attach his name to him because he just doesn't think that they could be the same thing or belong to him. But yeah, on on the page, it's like it's just it's different every time, so it's just you're seeing a different thing every time you see him, but you're not seeing any transition. It's just every time you look at him, you see a new face. Right. Which is part of the something you just couldn't do in the. I guess you could by changing it between cuts, like you're saying. But the other thing about Rorschach's mask, um, just from a pure character idea, is that he he inhabits that like. And again, this is just Batman, but Bruce Wayne is the real mask, and Batman is the real person idea, mm-hmm. which I thought has always been really like poorly executed when they're trying to deliver that theme in any of the Batman movies or stories I've seen. They say it. But it just doesn't ring true to me. Like it just doesn't make it true to to just say that you know Bruce Wayne is the real mask. It just doesn't. It doesn't feel true when I'm when I'm seeing this. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, definitely in the new movies. I mean, it's not at all. Right. He's just acting this outlandish I mean, character when he's Batman. <laughs> but whereas Rorschach is does it so good. I mean, just as purely as a character, instead of calling it a mask, he calls it his face or his skin. Mm-hmm. He says, and when he's telling his backstory, this is this is something they they kind of necessarily have to compress for the movie. But there's a scene where there's a time between when he starts wearing the mask and and acting out as a vigilante and when he starts to consider it his own face. He says when he first puts on the mask and starts acting out and, and, you know, doing this Batman type like arresting guys or like handcuffing guys and leaving him for the cops to scoop up type thing. He still thinks of himself as a man in a costume. And there's a later critical event that happens to him that that makes him feel like suddenly he's this new person this Rorschach and it's it 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 works there in a way that even Batman it doesn't work I think it's just fantastic well um maybe this is a good time to just take a quick break for a second all right since sponsors don't exist in the universe of this podcast (laughs) I want to mention um a brand I just personally happen to like there's a uh alcohol distillery in Ukiah California named Jermaine Robin is it Robin or Robin I think Robin would be Frenchier sounding. <laughs> and I have been drinking this entire time Coast Road Reserve Craft Method California Brandy, which is this extraordinary brandy that my dear friend Aaron, to whom I'm talking right now, sent me for Christmas, and I'm just really, really enjoying it. So thank you to him. It's very good. The uh, uh, distiller um, of that brandy uh, shot my dog once. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that's terrible. I'm so sorry to be laughing. Uh, But it does make me wish they were paying for this sponsorship. 
then you said that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Aaron. I'm sorry about your dog. <laughs> it was actually my brother's dog, but it was pretty sad. He was, he was a sheep chasing he dog. He shot it to death? Uh-huh. Okay. Man. I think it was him. It might have been the other guy up there. <laughs> that caught me so off guard. <laughs> well, this brandy is good anyway. <laughs> it just—it's really fantastic it's brandy. Built on the backs of bloody dog corpses, though. Did you try the uh, the whiskey? No. Um, the other the other one you sent me was a white dog uh, whiskey. That, uh, that I'm really interested in. I've had a couple uh, real young whiskeys that I liked and more that I didn't, but I really like this distillery a lot, so I'm looking forward to trying it. Yeah, that's actually a different distiller, but oh, is it distribute through the same, uh, you know, under the same label or what, however you... Uh, but that is the uh, Logap whiskey. Logap. Right. The uh, road on which my dog was shot. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I expect this to happen, but if there ever are sponsors for this show, let's just try them all, tie them all to just dog murder somehow or another. <sighs> the other thing is, uh, trying to correct our earlier, a couple episodes ago mistake, uh, where I didn't buy any scratch-off lottery tickets, because we do need to, you know, fund this show. This show doesn't, it's not free. This equipment's not free and so forth, and there's a major time investment in getting this website set up and everything. I, I paid four dollars to watch the Watchmen. Yeah, right. We need we need that money. We need that four dollars. So I bought some <laughs> more scratch off lottery tickets to see if we can win back that four dollars. <laughs> Give me a second because I have to blow my nose because I'm c- c- crying and full of snot because you <laughs> said that your dog got shot. <laughs> Sorry. Oh man. You know who else wasn't sympathetic to dead dogs? Hmm. Rorschach. It all ties together. It all comes together. All right, scratch some scratchers. <laughs> so as before, I got two two cheap ones and one expensive one, so we can do the two cheap ones at the beginning and then maybe the one expensive one at the end. For the cheap ones, you have your choice of cool nines. Fuck cool nines. <laughs> I don't know if I'm actually bad at those. I forget which scratchers I'm mad at. And line them up is the other one. You, well, do you know what? I don't know. I, I've been listening. It's and I'm sure I'll be you know proven wrong when I go back and actually listen to all these in a row after they've been edited and everything. Every single one you've picked has won. I think. I think I lost a few. I think we together have lost a few on the ones that we decided were both of ours. Every, anyways, at, at the point that where I'm at with editing these. Every one that you have picked has won. I am really... And you're totally blasé about them, and I'm mad at you. I'm <laughs> really good at Lotto, but I want the lines. Line them up is like a juke... Not a jukebox, a slot machine. All right. Where you scratch... I mean, they're really blending two different types of gambling into one delightful scratch-off lottery ticket. All right. Gold, gold, clover, you lose. Oh! Clover, horseshoe, money bag... You lose. Oh. Key crown gem. You lose. Oh. All losers. Yeah. You jinxed it. I did. I deliberately jinxed <laughs> it because I'm mad at you. 
All right. Good. Now maybe I can fucking win one. Cool nines. So this one, I, I have a cool number, and then I scratch off five my numbers, and if any of them match the cool number, or if more than one do, as they have to you in the past, you dick, uh, I win that money. So 40 is my cool number. 28, 39, 13, 45, 17. You're not... No winners on these lottery tickets. Yeah, you're not so cool. I know. There's one more lottery, lottery ticket that we can save for the end. It is, again, the Scratch and Sniff Coffee Cash. Woo! Last time we did this one, I was so sick and congested that I couldn't tell if it actually was a Scratch <laughs> and Sniff or not, or if they just said that for some weird reason. But uh, hopefully this time I'll be able to actually sniff it. But since the first two didn't win, that must be where all our riches lie. And so I'm looking forward to winning them. <clears throat> That's why, darling... It's incredible that someone so unforgettable thinks that I'm unforgettable too. What do you think of the music? Um, not memorable. No, it was insipid. It's, and it's it's weird because it was expensive. I think, right? These are like memorable songs. I mean, famous songs they were using. Uh, I did like the uh, the intro. Actually, was one of my favorite things about the movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was a really great use of a song. I think it was too. I think most of the other songs you really could have switched them around. Like, put put one in the opposite one's place, and it would have made no difference in the movie. I think they were really just tacked on. But the intro was fucking fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it really kind of fills in a lot of backstory and sets up what the world is. And in filling in the backstory, it sets this chronology, because later in the movie, they have to bounce back to times from that period. Like, obviously, the rape scene has to jump back to that, and some other moments like that. And you just know where in the timeline you're jumping because you've had this summary of already given to you from the intro. Mm-hmm. The stylistically, the the kind of the frozen moments were like a nice kind of nod to the comic book panel, I thought. I don't know if that was deliberate or not. I think it probably was. It's something that a lot of directors like to use, those little like like super, super hyper slow motion things that are almost like still frames. But I thought they were perfect to treatment to give a comic book movie. Yeah. What were you starting to say? Um, oh, just just the kind of the you know that the meaning of that song. I mean, it just it feels like a, a much different song would uh, given the alternate history. Yeah, you know, it's kind of the world where the you know the times didn't change. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I didn't think of that. You know, we we won Vietnam and we love Nixon. Yeah, <laughs> and I you know I don't think the politics got too addressed in the you know in the movie. Um, 
you know, what the actual political climate was. No, that was a real shame, I thought, that they didn't. I mean, if they're going to put it in that time, it's like, why did they bother putting it, correctly putting it in the 80s if they're not going to use... Right. <laughs> I do love whenever there's a fake Kissinger. <laughs> Mostly just because it reminds me of... Did you watch uh, Venture Brothers? No. They have the best fake Kissinger. <laughs> yeah, I, this is another point where, where the movie loses gains nothing and loses a lot by making these cartoonish figures uh with nixon i thought (laughs) and he was pretty cartoonish i think in the comic too but but having him totally gleeful about the nuclear armageddon (laughs) in the when he's in the war room you know this war room scene it just is it just completely deflates both the reality of the situation which could have been great but the shitty thing it does is it makes him a super villain and one of my favorite things about Watchmen as an idea is it's the world where there is no super villains mm-hmm. there's just these crazy grandiose people who are some in some ways heroic and in some ways villainous but but then he just becomes this like super villain but come on Nixon was a super villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he wouldn't have been giggling at the idea of the entire eastern seaboard of the United States being wiped out by nuclear bombs that's why they should have used Reagan. Alzheimer's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Reagan did the modern era. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Man, I just fucking lobbed that one over the plate for you without realizing it. Um, the other thing from the opening titles was if you're going to jettison a lot of Rorschach's backstory, which you have to just to keep this movie under three and a half hours, which I guess it barely is. The shot of the uh, John tossling his hair as he walks out was you could have done a lot fucking worse than that because that was a great moment. Just in in two seconds communicates so much, which the movie is compresses a lot into a small amount of time in almost every scene and does it, I think, poorly in almost every scene. But in that one, they just did it really, really. It's a wonderful treatment. Yeah, I, I definitely I wish we had had more of the comedian having as little as they did. It kind of felt pointless to not just take it all out yeah he he serves a the best part the best role he serves in the in the material it comes from god i'm really talking about the comic more than i'm talking about the movie <laughs> and i was really gonna try not to do that but yeah you, you're right that he seems he seems shoehorned in and f- who the fuck cares about him mm-hmm. in the comic they get the time to you know they tell some of his story outright but for the most part his entire story is filled in by other characters reminiscing about him and what they remember about him is really revealing to who the character is that's remembering him right and there's a little bit of that in the movie in the funeral scene where it kind of and and you kind of have to be paying attention to even realize the movie's doing this because it's again it's just lifting the pacing straight from the comic where it's obvious what they're doing but in the movie it's not it just feels jumping around and scattershot but it's the different people are having their different specific memories of the comedian but it's still it doesn't communicate that like you don't get the sense that what person a is remembering from the comedian's life is reflective of that person's character specifically it's just kind of filling in some a little bit of backstory really hurriedly and the comedian is just a villainous asshole in the movie he just doesn't seem fleshed out at all yeah and he's i mean also i feel like so much of the political story you know is what he's tied up with that Mm. pretty much taken out all of the political elements of the movie right Uh, i wish like Quit honking their horns. Um, Is your limo there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's, here's, speaking of politics, th- this is just a, a 
just a side note, but did you notice they kept fucking sneaking the Twin Towers into the backgrounds of shots? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the, it's I mean, the, the story is in New York, so they, it's in the comic, too. But he kept sh- shoving it in there. Yeah, there it's definitely. And the uh, that last shot of, you know, Ground Zero. Right. Was, I mean, just totally referencing. Right. And, and in the Twin Tower shots, there's like shots where Zeppelins are just lazily <laughs> drifting directly towards <laughs> the tower. It's over and over again. Like, it really couldn't have been accidental. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, but it's like, what is that trying to t- say? I don't think... I mean, it's trying to say New York Remember really this blow up. emotional thing that happened? Uh-huh. There's emotion in this movie, too. Yeah. We blow... We both blew up New York. But, it, right, it doesn't... And, and, I mean, Afghanistan comes up a lot, obviously, in the story, but, you know, in a different context. that It doesn't, it doesn't stitch that together. It's it, it was distracting and, and a little tiny bit tasteless to put those in there, I thought. Rem- Do you ever read Roger Ebert's review of Battlefield Earth? No. He says, the director of Battlefield Earth has figured out... This isn't a direct quote, this is just from memory. The director has figured out that good directors sometimes tilt their cameras, but he has not yet learned why. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like the Zack Snyder putting the Twin Towers in there is just like, this is an mm-hmm. emotional thing. Yes. Symbolism is a good thing in movies. Right, yeah. yeah lots of movies have used symbolism. <laughs> I've got to use some, too. But he imports a lot of... I mean, the story is really just dripping with symbolism and recurring visual motifs. And ones he imports from the book, I think, are work as well as they did in the original. The smiley-faced blood splat thing, obviously, is the most notorious. And this is a weird thing, because I've seen the movie a couple times. I watched the motion comic. Only when I sat down to read the comics did it visually click that this blood splat is like the shape of an arrow and the smiley face is the shape of a clock face. Hmm. I yeah, I didn't get that. And it's really, really obvious once you see it. It's like mm-hmm. the arrow in the FedEx logo, where it's like once you see it, it's just you just see it every time you look at it. Because I was trying, I was really trying to see, like, I mean, the smiley face thing is just happens over and over and over and over again in the movie. And obviously it ties it all back to the comedian, and obviously it ties it back to this, this kind of undercurrent of the whole story where everything that happens is just absurd and like just a weird sick joke in some ways which is i think one of alan moore's kind of mindsets going into this telling the story but it, it didn't seem any deeper than that and it, so it seemed weird that they kept popping up to drive just that home but once i th- see the smiley face with the blood splat as just a reflection of the doomsday clock that keeps appearing in the story i really liked have, having that click in my mind it, it, it's fun having a thing right in front of you for a really 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 long time before it clicks <laughs> just as even that much more satisfying that delayed gratification uh here's a totally unrelated uh scene that i want to uh, complain about yeah is the uh night owl not getting it up scene um <laughs> which is also uh, it's not unique to this movie it's pretty much in any movie the uh dude not getting it up scene yeah, the whole the whole second Spider Man movie was Spider Man can't can't jizz. <laughs> I don't remember that, but really, he he gets bummed out and his web stops spraying out. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't even mean the big metaphor around it. I mean just just the actual scene of of Nidal not getting it up and, and every because starting with you know the movie sex convention where it's like we're gonna have sex we'll show it in 30 seconds the going from zero to fucking in yeah 20 seconds right and uh so, so just when you have a scene where they like start kissing and 10 seconds later she's like why why is your boner not proper <laughs> <laughs> and he's so like oh i'm so sad about my boner it's like 
I don't know, touch his dick a little or something. <laughs> you people heard about, like, sometimes you want foreplay before sex. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think that, I mean, obviously it's meant to set up that, that they need to get back into character before they really uh, have that. Oh, yeah, that's that's a whole thing. And that, I don't know, that kind of works. But, but, uh, but it's, yeah, but, but yeah, it sort of does. But in, in, in the just, book, it's just movie sex scenes. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like it's just a normal part of life for people who are getting older in the movie. Right. It just seems like he needs to kick someone's ass to get a heart on. It's like Alan Moore wrote the scene, but then uh, Frank Miller directed it. <laughs> just you're right. Just touch his dick a little. <laughs> um, but then, but then his dream sequence is a nice touch, and and it's again, it's the kind of the Batman or you know Bruce Wayne is the real mask idea when they has the fantasy sequence where they they peel off their skin and underneath they're wearing their costumes mm-hmm. it's nice it's on the nose but it's still nice i mean it's it's no less on the nose than when they do it in a batman or other movie and it's much more <laughs> believable i don't know like it communicates it better uh, and then the fucking sex scene the actual sex scene in the fucking <laughs> owl plane that is the unsexiest sex scene in any movie i can fucking think of I wrote that sentence down. The single unsexiest <laughs> sex scene in any movie I can think it's, of. It's funny because in the book, it was kind of presented as still sort of that. But then I feel in the movie, he tried to make it sexy and just failed. In the book, it's 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 sex it's sex like sex is, where it's right. clumsy and se- like self conscious. Mm-hmm. I mean, how uh, that's a great thing to achieve in a comic book, how, how he was able to communicate that. Yeah. Well, Alan Moore read a whole comic about how Swamp Thing fucks. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, I like that guy. In in the movie, the, the way the song plays off of what's going on in the screen is awful. <laughs> it's shot really shittily. There's no sense of like a, a rising passion between the two of them. It's like their clothes are on and then their clothes are off, and then it's just meat slapping for what seems like 45 <laughs> minutes. It really it's like a, it's like a sex scene made by someone who's never had sex but only watched <laughs> pornography. It's just ugh. A lot of the movie is directed. That's how the fight scenes are directed. <laughs> God, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, yeah. Like, Someone who's never been in a fight but only watched pornography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that leads me into what I think is what really offended me about the movie. And I think it kind of I, I want to I want to touch on two things that I that I think are, are kind of two halves of the same ill ill conceived aspect of of why this movie I thought was frustrating and and kind of offensive to me. The first is the rape scene. Mm-hmm. And I, what I did was I after I watched it, I went back and I rewatched that rape scene, and I and I tallied how many times someone gets punched, or hit, or kicked in that, and then I went to that section of the comic and I counted how many times <laughs> someone gets punched or hit or kicked in that, and I mean, can you guess <laughs> what the ratio is like? It's there's about twenty different strikes in the movie, and. Depending on how you count them in the comic, it's between three and four. Mm-hmm. And it plays really differently. And it's not just that. It's also how it's shot. It's how when she's slammed into the into the pool table, the pool balls, balls break apart, just like the scene setting stuff breaks apart in the opening scene where the comedian is being killed. And it takes it, 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 it makes, it's not a rape scene anymore. It's a fight scene. And the stakes of the scene are rape. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be a rape scene. I mean, it, 
it, it it has to be like shitty and messy and 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 unpleasant and not it's not i mean it's unpleasant like watching a hero get you know beat up by a villain and and it's a just it's a fight scene where where rape is the stakes instead of the scene yeah that's uh that that is that is a good point that is uh and it's not like he downplays the importance of the scene because I even like I happened to come across an interview with him where he's like he's talking about how he wishes Watchmen had come out right after the Avengers because he he considers it like the anti Avengers which is like that's a cute conceit I guess but <laughs> and and it is I mean the story kind of should be I don't know, I don't know that it is it's just kind of the the right. bummer bummer adventures <laughs> but but it, but when he's describing it is that he's like these are like these are like real people um you know they're not superheroes they're like real people who go around raping each other <laughs> and so it's not like he doesn't realize that's an important part of the thing he just doesn't get it he just doesn't get the significance of that the other thing is that the movie really gleefully extends these scenes of like knockdown, drag out fighting and violence. And in a movie that has to compress so many scenes, it's reveal it's so revealing that the only scenes they extend are those. <laughs> and yet it's such a cowardly it's so it's made in such a cowardly way where Every time it's extending that, it's the same old fucking good guy versus bad guy thing. And the story has a lot of inversions of that. There's the scene where the comedian is riding on the front of the owl ship and he's firing at protesters. Mm -hmm. And he's firing off screen in the movie. They're not showing any of the results of that. Or obviously the hugest example of it is... That in a movie where you were just seeing people like ripped apart and broken bones and sawn into pieces and stuff, this watchman make a decision that has a h- incredibly cost of human sacrifice in the climax of the movie, and the consequences of that don't even exist on the screen. Mm-hmm. The the detonation. Well, I think it's telling first off that the de- they only show the detonation of in America, even though they mention that it's happening all over the world. But it's also like the detonation is this pretty blue explosion and the you get to see these rad buildings falling down. And it's like, <laughs> hell yes, this rules, <laughs> you know, and there's no carnage. And I think it, the decision is all about the human cost and the, the human cost isn't even present. I mean, the, the closest they get is there's two people who just like disappear in the blast. Right, and this is a movie that's not afraid to wa- to watch a guy's arms get ch- you know sawn off by a circular saw, but it fucking it it it's too cowardly to show the human cost of the critical decision in the movie, and when the when Manhattan Inspector like teleport back from Mars and they're in the center of the ruined city and again at Ground Zero, they they appear conveniently at Ground Zero where there's no human remains anywhere, mm-hmm. and I think this is a place where it's really critical to compare it to how the comic treated it, and the way the comic treated it is it's the first pages of the last issue are six full page illustrations of just human devastation and tentacles right i mean obviously there's a they they changed the ending of the movie in a way that i think the the way that honestly i think the way the comic did it is better for the comic it's it sounds silly when you try to describe it, but then when you read it in the comic, it actually really oh, yeah. works. I think, and the way the movie did it is the only way it could have worked for the movie. I think. It yeah, was I actually mistake. thought that that rewrite 
did work really well. Totally. It totally did. Yeah, I mean, I wish a lot of the story had been compressed in a more intelligent way like that. But that there's just, it's a bloodless disaster at the end of the movie and at the end of the book. It's, it's this is the cost. This is, you have to pay a price in blood for, for this ramping up of this aggression and tension, you know, and threat of nuclear annihilation. And they, it, the movie is too cowardly to show that cost. Uh, yeah. So the movie is like, is not afraid to be gory. So it's not that, but I think it's just afraid to be like bleak. It's afraid to be a bummer. It, it wants to be, yeah. it really wants to be fun. Like the whole movie, right. you know, still wants to be a fun action movie. And the story doesn't work unless you're willing to, for it to be bleak. I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's a bleak revelation about human nature that's written into that story. Yeah. myself feel every day see every innocent face I've murdered to save humanity you understand don't you without condoning or condemning I understand Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think that might be a good, uh, good note to end it on. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only other thing I just want to throw in there is that there's the, and this, this is right from the comic too. So fuck Alan Moore for this too, but the, where the, the, he kills the midget in a toilet, which is just like, fuck you really (laughs) like that fucking pisses me off. It really does. And, and I think if there's any justice in the world, I mean, and the next generation is going to look back on how little people were treated in our movies and media and it's going to be like the it's like the way we look back on blackface it's just really fucking awful mm-hmm. it's revolting it's dehumanizing it's and, and, and i wish they they had corrected that fucking error of having that in the comic when they made it into a movie hooray hooray <laughs> um also just touch his dick a little <laughs> seriously <sighs> I'm coming to visit you. I'm going to be in New Orleans. I, I Just to bring everyone on, up to speed here, I live in Portland, Oregon, and Aaron lives in New Orleans, and I'm going to be in New Orleans a week from today. And since we're trying to record these every week, I, I was hoping that we could find time to watch a movie physically together, and then we could just record immediately after or, or, or uh, yeah. respond um, in that way. Yeah, you are talking about maybe doing... Um... The Beast of the Southern Wild might be an appropriate New Orleans movie. Yeah, and, and this is one that you've seen and I haven't, but I, I fell so in love with this director's short piece, Glory at Sea, and watched it 50 times at least, <laughs> and, and was so enamored with it. And I've really been looking forward to, to seeing Beast of the Southern Wild. But it's it seems like, and I, I want to leave that decision to you because I don't know whether it's totally fitting or not for this um, trip. I, I don't, it would be fun. I mean, I've, I've only seen it the once and I, you know, I saw, I think I saw it in the theater on the 4th of July in a, a theater that serves booze and, mm. you know, came out with a hundred dollar booze tab and then went directly down to the fireworks and the French quarter. And <laughs> so a, a very nice and emotional connection with the 
film around that. Also, it's just you know, fucking amazing movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that might be a that might be a really good one to do. I mean, there's there's definitely other other New Orleans films. There's uh, it doesn't even have to be a New Orleans film. It just I, I I think it would be fun to just physically watch a movie together for the first time in many years. <laughs> we could do Hard Target. It's <laughs> that's got my house in it. I think it what's, has. What's uh, Hard Target? <laughs> hard Target is. Uh, oh God, it was one of. Uh, John Woo's uh, first American movies with the, oh fuck I've seen that movie um, John Claude Van Damme and Wilfred Brimley no wait I haven't seen that movie <laughs> it's pretty amazing uh, it's set in New Orleans or just shot there it's set in New Orleans it's set in New Orleans without any people where you can just like hunt a man down Bourbon Street it's pretty amazing <laughs> they have like John Woo fights in the Mardi Gras float factory and <laughs> <laughs> yeah John Claude Van Damme trying to do a Cajun accent. Or not really, just doing his regular <laughs> accent and them calling it Cajun. That's a tough decision between those two <laughs> yeah. movies. All right. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think Beast of the Southern Wild will probably be the fun one to do. We could, I mean, maybe even drive down to where they filmed it would be kind of cool. It's, I mean, it's a really interesting drive. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly where they filmed it, but I think it's all in, uh, just, yeah, just kind of a neat drive anyway. Well, great. I'm really looking forward to visiting you first and foremost, <laughs> but uh, also that movie. Um, Coffee Cash is mm-hmm. a scratch-and-sniff Oregon lottery ticket, which I will scratch off right now. Okay. It's, I don't know what there really is to describe. There's just a <laughs> picture of a cup of coffee, and then you scratch it off, and apparently it's supposed to smell like coffee. And we'll see. You know, if there's if there's anything more fucking insufferable than listening to someone scratch off a lottery ticket... It's listening to someone explain why they think it's funny to make you listen to someone scratching off a lottery ticket, which I've done a couple times already. But uh, now I'm getting even more meta by describing how unpleasant it would be to listen to me describe it. Winning symbols are cupcake, sandwich, or cell phones, so I'm trying to get any of those. Oh, let me sniff this. I forgot to sniff it. <laughs> That's yet yet another human sense that doesn't get transmitted in the podcast <laughs> medium. It does kind of smell like coffee. It smells like old coffee grounds a little bit. It smells like the dumpster behind a coffee shop. Hooray! <laughs> oh, wait, are you rooting for us to win? Because you have to root for us to win. I think oh, that was the oh, problem yeah, earlier. Oh, yeah, I think I'll... Yeah, let's win. Oh, okay. Let's get cupcakes. Okay. You always rooted for one on the, the ones that you've won, so I... See, hold on. Let me read the let me read the instructions again, real quick, because that's really that makes good radio. It's me silently reading over the instructions of a lottery ticket. <laughs> well, the bad news is we didn't win cupcake, Aww. but we did win cell phone. Hmm. Won three dollars. I call bullshit. You want me to rip it up and throw it in the garbage? <laughs> well, who's gonna pay the four dollars for the you having to watch Watchmen on Amazon? <laughs> I mean, not factoring in the cost of this lottery tickets, just factoring in the cost of you seeing the movie for the purposes of recording this, we uh, almost broke even. Hooray! 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 (laughs) Thanks so much, Aaron. I love you dearly, and I'm really, really excited to come see you. Ah. Hooray! I'm coming to your house to mess up your life. (laughs) Alright, talk to you later. Talk to you later. And as always, you can visit inthecut.org to see all the ways you can watch our next movie right now. So I hope you get a chance to do that and come back next week 
to join us for a special in-person episode with me and Aaron. Talk to you soon.